reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. About that time, some people came up and told him about the Galileans that Pilate had killed while they were at worship, mixing their blood with the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Jesus responded, Do you think those murdered Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. And those 18 in Jerusalem the other day, the ones crushed and killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed and fell on them, do you think they were worse citizens than all other Jerusalemites? Not at all. Unless you turn to God, you too will die. Then he told them a story. A man had an apple tree planted in his front yard. He came to it expecting to find apples, but there weren't any. He said to his gardener, what's going on here? For three years now, I've come to this tree expecting apples and not one apple have I found. Chop it down. Why waste good ground with it any longer? The gardener said, let's give it another year. I'll dig around it and fertilize and maybe it will produce next year. If it doesn't, then chop it down. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Let us pray. God, for the spirit that is in this place and the spirit that gathers us uh, beyond boundary, beyond border, and beyond building, we give you thanks. We ask that that spirit be in this place to soothe our tender souls, uh, to lift up the pain and grief that we may experience from the weight of the world, but also to see joy and new life around us. For we are a resurrection people, always knowing that there is hope good news and new life. We thank you again for this time and for those in this space, for those who are, are able to gather together, whether it be here or afar. We are one body, one body of Christ this day. May that same spirit guide in the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, so they're acceptable to you. We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen. So this is one of those passages that you begin, it's not a cheery beginning, right? All we're hearing about are people dying and if you don't turn towards God, you're gonna die. Like that, that is not probably your first go-to scripture that you think of when people talk to you about your faith. You're not like, well, turn to God or you're gonna die, right? That's, that's the kind of uh, uh, rhetoric and the tone that we don't like to um, share out in the world. In fact, we know how dangerous that can be so one way to think about it, right, is to just think about it. it's all metaphorical, it's all... The other is to say that in, there are times where we as humans were, um, you know, we, we, we um, recorded some of the terribleness of that time. And I don't think we have to think it's metaphorical because we can see the same things happening today, right? I mean, it's not as if we can say, gosh, how barbaric were the biblical times when we can turn on the news today and see terrible things happening to people, things that we thought, hoped we were beyond, 
We know that there is also continued violence and continued pain and struggle that doesn't make the news, that doesn't make our social media threads. We know that there are things happening just in this community within a few miles as well as around the world where people are dying and there is pain and people are inflicting violence upon one another and causing death. So I don't want to sugarcoat this beginning part of this passage because I think what we are hearing is that we can't get into this idea that we're going to start ranking how bad things are. We can't start getting into this, well, it's really bad here, it's not bad here, or at least I don't do that, right? I think sometimes we get into this, this danger of, well, you know, I'm, I did this little thing, but at least I'm not out there doing these terrible things because Jesus is reminding us that the actions in themselves is not what gives us worth. The actions in itself are not what happens, um, how God connects to us or loves us. The, the action that we have to be concerned about as people of faith, as people who believe in God, as people who believe in this person of Christ, is to claim Christ, God's ownership um, claim over us. And that that is what we are measured upon. We're not measured upon the, the good or bad acts that we do. And this is where it comes to being Presbyterian. Uh, here's your just slightly, if, um, I know many of you didn't grow up Presbyterian. We always get a bad rap for a couple of things as Presbyterians. One, we're called the frozen chosen, right? We're called because we're easy to tease about just like its emotion is bad and we just sit and we look ahead and we, right? Now, clearly there is some truth to that in context, but for the most part, we are like, we are not as frozen as I think we like to tease ourselves about. Certainly here, that is not the case. Um, yesterday, we had a memorial here for, uh, for Holly Newman and everybody was so worried about um, what they did and where they put the flowers and where things went. And I'm like, yeah, you can put them whatever, wherever. And like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You can put them anywhere. It's your memorial. Right, so I don't think that that's really a true one. But the other thing that we get a lot of, uh, uh, we get pushed back on is this thing called predestination, right? We get pushed on, well, if everything's predestined, then why bother? Well, that's one way to think about it. The other way is to think about it is God loves us and there's nothing we can do about that because God has already said to us, I claim you, I choose you, you are worthy. And so there's actually nothing that you can do to separate me from you. So our job is not to try to earn God's love, earn God's presence, but it is to respond with gratitude to what God has already promised us. That's how I look at this predestination thing is I don't, I don't use it to be like, well, I'm already in, too bad for you. It's more like, ah, God loves me now and for eternity. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but how can I not live in the world in gratitude to that? So what we hear in this story is a, a, a negative version of that is almost like it, it doesn't matter if you kill and mix the offering blood and all that kind of stuff. It matters how you understand God in your life and how you are worthy and loved by God. The passage you get, you usually have heard it as a fig tree and that's how we've normally heard it, but um, a more a clear translation is of an apple tree. I don't think that changes anything other than I like apples more than I like figs. 
But you hear this story often, right? This is one of the um, probably most anti-American exceptionalism stories in the Bible. Because we are a country and a culture that believes that meritocracy is the primary thing. And you know, we can have lots of discussions about, I think, the myth of meritocracy. Have that conversation with my kids. It is a, amazing conversations to have as they move through college. But you know, in, in, the, in, in American culture, in broad way of speaking, right, you are valued by what you produce. If you're not producing, then why are you here? And that trickles down to so many ways in which we look at our culture and our communities. We look at elderly folks in the United States and how we treat those who are perceived to be beyond any productive way of life. How we understand and talk about what it means to get older and how we begin to believe this myth that as you get older, you become less and less valuable as opposed to as we get older, our value shifts. I think we do the same thing with children. Like, wh what are they producing? Apparently, we're not allowed to make them work. Like, we don't do that anymore. So what do they produce? So we, 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 def we don't fund education. We look at young people as a burden. We look at those teachers and educators who tend and shape and nurture our young people, and we don't support them. But we value this idea that you should generate some kind of something. There should be a deliverable. There should be some productivity. If, if you're not delivering something or producing something, then you are not worthy. And we buy into that. We buy into this what many call toxic productivity where all our worth is, is based on what we can hand into someone or, or what we can do to make a profit, all of those things. So this passage itself goes against a lot of what happens in this community around here, especially, this idea that, that our worth is bound in our productivity and what we can produce. I think that's a, it's a dangerous question to ask ourselves because I think intellectually we would all like to say, no, I don't, I don't get my worth from what I produce. I don't get my worth from my wealth or my power. But it's really hard when you begin to ask that question and decide that that is actually gonna be true for you. Because what it means is we get to give away and, 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 and uh, you know, kind of deposit in uh, these ideas that everything we do is about producing something. You know, you talk about things like grind culture, just get through it, power through it, grind, 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 and then you earn your wealth, your, your rest, and all of the things that you're supposed to earn because you've been productive, as opposed to let's be healthy, rested people so that we can be better members of society. I didn't pick this passage. We um, didn't write this liturgy knowing that this was gonna be the Sunday after I announced that I would be leaving. But as we looked at it, I'm like, man, Right? This idea that you are worthy speaks to us in both to me individually, to you as a congregation, and to us over the last three years of what we have done together. 
Let me begin with just how I read this passage and how I have begun to think about my own calling and things over the last three years in particular, but just in general as we move into a new way of being in the world. I am in an Enneagram what is called a, a three. And those of you that are Enneagram people, uh, threes are what are called uh, achievers. Uh, threes are uh, called achievers, they're called performers. Uh, they nickname us little human doings rather than human beings. Um, our, uh, for Enneagram people, every uh, number, there's nine numbers, has a, a virtue and a vice. So virtues of a three, um, we can bring people along with ideas. Uh, we can move towards something and uh, folks will kind of gravitate into that space and that path. And then we accomplish good things together. The vice is, for a three is deceit. Not that we lie, but we start, we lie to ourselves about our worth and that our worth is determined by what we accomplish. The United States is a three country. Uh, as I just talked about. I'm the kind of person that um, I love lists uh, so I can check them off. If I have a, if you were to look at my little pad here, I have a bunch of to-dos. And uh, if I do something that's not on the list, I add it to the list and then I check it off. Um, Robin's here and she's like, oh, good Lord, yes. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like to have things in order. I like to plan out ahead of time in our household. My common question is, so what's the plan? And Robin will often say, there is no plan. And it'll be okay. My kids are like, there's no plan, Dad. But how can there not be a plan? Because how do you check things off if there's no plan? Right? So that's my natural place to be. And I will say there are uh, really great parts about that and help to move communities. And I, I think it, it helps in many ways. But it also, when I begin to trick myself into thinking that the more things I can check off, the better I am as a person, that's when it becomes dangerous. And then I start just frenzying out. If I just do more things, then it's going to be okay. So one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I no longer need to do that for myself. I no longer need to um, be that person that is continually checking off boxes as some sort of accomplishment to gain my worth. I no longer have to buy into this idea that I have to sacrifice my own health in order to, to do things that I would love to be able to do and would bring accomplishment and accolade and movement and joy, would bring good things. But in this world of grind culture, I'm having to step away from that idea. So in my letter, I talk about some health stuff and I, you don't need to know all the details. But part of the reason that I've chosen to leave is that my health is not good. It's not dire, but I don't think we wait until it's dire in order to make decisions. I've had health scares in my life, as some of you know. I've, you know, 17 years ago, I, was, I almost died of pancreatitis. I was one, you know, just six months ago, seven months ago, I was in the hospital for, with COVID. You know, I've had those experiences. And so when I tell folks, I really am, the, the impetus for my leaving 
is a choice about my own health. That is completely true. And what I am doing in that is I'm saying to my own spirit, my own mind, my own soul, I am worthy. And that that is not something that we are taught by the church and by culture very often. We are, we, are cho we are taught often that you are not worthy because you are not producing, and therefore you should let your body, mind, and spirit at all costs grind down until you can do no more, or there's some kind of crisis that forces you into decisions. And I'm hoping that what you hear in this decision for me is permission for yourself as well. To be able to know when you need to say to yourself, I'm worthy, and I am not about having to earn my worth from God. God has already said to me, I am worthy. So this decision for me in many ways was started because of the difficult, which shouldn't be a difficult decision, to say to God and myself, I'm worthy. I also want to say to you, I've known you for three years now, and we still have time together, so this is not my last sermon with you that you are worthy as a congregation. I've gotten to know your hurts and your pains, your joys and your celebrations, gotten to inkling into your deep DNA for justice and, and what we have done together uh, is, is I think some good things. I've gotten to know some of you more deeply than others. I've gotten to know um, about your families, your, your, your greatest joys and hobbies, as well as some of the things that have been difficult in your lives. I've gotten to know this congregation in many ways just as a regular church. You are unique, but you're not special because we are just people who are gathered together. And my leaving is not reflect upon your worth at all. In fact, I hope that what you will see is that your worth is even greater now than maybe it was bef before we started. That you understand yourselves as a church that is worthy of leadership that can be completely in this space. That your worth is about being loved as people and as a community. That you are worthy of this challenge that God has placed in this particular place to be what I believe a unique space of justice and faith in the world. It may not feel like we've produced much over these last three years. If I were to be old Bruce 20 years ago, I'd be like, well, no new members joined while you were here. You didn't baptize anybody while you were here. All the numerical things would say, gosh, Bruce, hmm, not very productive. But I hope that you all don't see that. I hope you see what I see. We made it through this pandemic and we just didn't survive. Like we have managed to be community through a time when we know communities, not just in the church, but all over are breaking down. You all didn't call me here to be your online pastor, but some reason we found ourselves in the same space and were able to kind of shift into this new way of being church. That is super worthy. 
I hope that as you have experienced my leadership, that maybe you have experienced a new way of, of seeing pastoral leadership in this space, that you have seen a way of talking about faith in a new way, that you've been invigorated. I hope that we have laughed enough together, that we have wept together, that we have experienced being community at the depth and the rawness of what it means to be church. I hope that over our three years, we have said to one another, beyond the trappings of productivity, that we together are worthy of God's love. Nothing takes away from that. Nothing will say to us, gosh, we did, this was some kind of failure. We didn't do something right. Please, as much as you can, let that part go. Know that in our last few years, that has both gone by in a just quickly, and for many of us, because of the pandemic, has also felt like a long time. I've actually gotten a lot more grayer, I think, in the three years. That all of that time is worthy. I hope that you will think about our time now, in the next weeks, after I'm gone, whenever that may be, and remember this as a good time. A time where we planted some soil and we, we churned it up and we planted some things and we made sure that it was going to be good. A time where I hope your faith was, has been expanded as mine has. A time where we've dove, dived deep into some areas theologically and politically and socially that maybe we hadn't before. That you have grown in body, mind, and spirit. And above all, that you have felt loved not just by God, but by me and one another. For God's love and worthiness is expressed in how we show that to one another. So I make, again, I know there are gonna be times that it is going to be rough. I promise you that there will be some rough times and there will be some frustration and not knowing what's gonna happen and you're gonna wonder and you might have moments of being mad at me or sad or all of those things all at the same time. But never forget that part of what we believe in this space is that God will love us no matter what. That God says to us, I have already told you that you are worthy. It's our job now to believe it. It's our job to believe it and to live it. So I hope as you move through the world, this church, this community is a significant part for many of you, but you also live in a world that is heavy. There are things going on around the world and you're probably in your life and in your communities that are demanding of you more than you can give when you feel like you are giving up your worth to those things, please choose to claim your worthiness from God. In this congregation, when you begin to really worry about your future, when you begin to struggle and find conflict and tension about what is next, please know that you are loved by God. And together, as I move into whatever is next, as you move into whatever is next, I hope that we will remember that our time together has expanded our understanding of that worth that God has placed upon us. Again, we have time together. 
I know for many this feels like it's going to go really quickly and it's a short time. But I want to say a couple of things to end. You all are going to be taken care of by your session and you're envisioning our future task force. I know that this time frame of me being gone by the end of April seems really fast. But the reality is you all haven't had a, a regular pastoral transition here in a very long time. And a regular normal pastoral transition is actually shorter than six weeks. It's often a month. So while I know it feels very fast. I do not want you to, to stop feeling feels. Trust a denomination and our history. And I hope me to say that we've found the best way to be able to make this transition happen. Also know that part of my role in this time is to end well with you. Our legacy will be tied up in these three years together, but a bigger part of that for this church will be in how we say goodbye and how we end our time. And lastly, let me just say a couple of things people have already asked me. Where are you going next? Do you have another job? I do not. There is nothing lying in wait. Uh, there is nothing happening that is, uh, I, I, you know, normally speaking, right? That's a valid question. Normally, Bruce, the planner, I would already know where I'm going. I am giving myself the gift of not knowing. Now, you can believe that or not, um, but that is the truth. And lastly, let me say this. As a planner, as a person who moves quickly and likes to get things done, my gift to both of us, to this church and to myself, is to be really present with you over these next six weeks. Next week, I have a steady leave time, and come April, we're just going to hang out together. I want to meet with as many of you as possible. We can grab coffee. We can hop on Zoom. Whatever you want to do. I'm going to be present with you so that we say goodbye well. And then I will be gone. And somebody will come in and be able to be in that space with you. We don't know what that's going to look like. But trust that there are folks who will love you again and again and again. That we have a unique experience that we will hold on to. I don't deny that. I have loved you as you have loved me and Robin but you will continue to be loved by your pastors. I believe that, I trust that, and I hope you will know that. So we begin another phase of our journey together, which is a journey of farewell. It's a journey of transition, but it's a journey that God will be present with, I hope, as God has been present with us thus far. When we can honor that, then we honor the worthiness that God has bestowed upon us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time and for the ways in which you gather us in the seasons of life. We ask, oh God, that you would continue to be with us. Be with each of us as we wrestle with the worthiness of our individual lives and this particular church. We know you do love us. Help us to believe that at the core of our souls. We thank you for that time, for this time, and for the time to come. We pray all this in the name of Christ. And God's people say, Amen.